You're listening to Muscles to the Masses, the podcast. We're covering muscles, of course, all kinds of movement, recovery, and fitness. I'm your host, Julie Reed. I'll bring information you can trust from new to you sources. It's a special day because, well, I'm launching the podcast today with an interview with Aaron Farmer. Aaron Farmer has spent the better part of the last 10 years owning and operating a successful urban CrossFit affiliate in Philadelphia, which was named one of the top 10 best CrossFit gyms in the nation. She has coached Olympic weightlifting athletes to every division of national level competition, rehabbed post-op athletes back to full access to fitness, and competed at the CrossFit regional level as an individual way back in 2008 and on a team in 2014. She sold her affiliate in January of 2017 in order to pursue her doctorate in physical therapy at Arcadia University. She has spent the interim between affiliate ownership and beginning grad school studying the practice of mindful meditation through Jefferson's Myrna Brind Center and teaching meditation to students at Camden Forward School. She firmly believes that movement has the power to change lives. Erin and I spoke at the end of May, a week before she gave birth to her first child. Congratulations, Erin. We talked about what it means to be a fitness generalist with a bias for the barbell, her words, and how CrossFit fit into that. We talk about weightlifting while pregnant and how meditation finds its way into her training in some unexpected ways. Oh, and don't miss the last few minutes when Erin reveals her most memorable meal. I don't want to give it away, so stick with us until the end. Erin, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I know you are about to give birth, so I appreciate the... <laughs> last minute scheduling on your part. Uh, so let's go ahead and get started. Why don't you give us a history of your time in fitness, where what you did growing up, and uh, how that kind of shaped what you did it as, as an adult? So I guess generally within the fitness community, um, when people ask me this question, um, I usually tell them a little bit about my um, general athletic background, which is that ever since I was really young, um, I've played multiple different sports. Um, you know, I was like a t-ball kid and a soccer kid and a swim kid for a little bit um, and all kinds of things. Um, my chief sport, though, um, was tennis, which in high school I played competitively and then also in college. Um, I only went to a D3 school, but we were the best in our conference, so um, I feel good about that. Um, but yeah, I think generally when I when I really get down to it, I can blame my, my mom for that. She's like this tiny Korean woman, um, and you know, typically I would say most Korean women aren't really into sweating, let alone like athletic anything. Um, but she really was, and she just always encouraged me to be super active. Um, and so, yeah, I think coming out of college, that's kind of what I had as a, as a general background. And then I kind of met CrossFit, and the rest is a little bit of history as far as how I ended up in weightlifting. Um, but yeah, that's the, before all of that, that's how I, how I did things. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I really, in your IG profile, you say that you're a fitness generalist with a bias for the barbell. And I, re I really like that. It, you know, when I was thinking about you and what I've learned from you, it really fits. <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad. Yeah. What do you mean by fitness generalist? Yeah. Um, so I, I was thinking, about this because you sent me these questions. <laughs> um, thank you. Um, and I think it's actually a reaction to being around CrossFit for a really long time. Um, 
I started CrossFit, I think, like, technically, the first time I'd ever tried to work out was in 2007, which is fairly early on in, in the existence of CrossFit as a, a, a business model and a fitness model. Um, but one of the things that I really liked about early CrossFit days um, was just this idea that a person should be able to be widely capable of doing many things. Um, and I think, you know, even in um, people who work with uh, athletes over the long term, so like uh, kids, for instance, who are then grown into um, uh, athletes within the context of high school and college careers, we're just learning a lot more about how, how people need variety. Um, and this is also a central tenet of, of CrossFit. It's still something that CrossFit touts as like, being really important to its, um, its self-definition. Um, but I think for me, it just uh, became less about that in the community as, as CrossFit has evolved a little bit. Um, I think, you know, there's still some segments of CrossFit where this applies, but yeah. So long story short, I think fitness generalist for me embodies that first part of CrossFit that I really loved, which was this feeling of kind of being like, I'm a human being and I really want to be capable of doing a lot of things. I want to be able to lift heavy, but I also want to be able to run long and I want to be able to climb and I want to be able to jump over things and um, basically be able to approach life um, with a little bit of a generalist attitude. Um, the bias for the barbell, though, <laughs> comes from the fact that um, I do really love weightlifting, just the feeling of it. Um, I think it's very meditative. Um, I think it's, uh, it's uniquely a part of the fitness world um, where things just feel a little different, uh, a little... Um, specifically challenging and um i just enjoy it so i i do know it's a bias um not everybody needs to train with a barbell um but i do think that the people who do tend to be a little different <laughs> and get a little different results um yeah so that's that's the little explanation i have for my gram tagline yeah so when you say uh train with a barbell are you're specifically talking about Olympic weightlifting, right? I mean, I, yes and no. I, I definitely have a bias for um, powerlifting in general. Um, but I think for me, a bias for the barbell, it's, it's one of those things where I just hope that all powerlifters eventually try Olympic weightlifting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, because I think it's so great. Um, but yeah, that doesn't mean that everybody needs to think it's great. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's take a step back actually and talk about what Olympic weightlifting is and how it's different than powerlifting. Sure. Um, so Olympic weightlifting is the only sport that you can do in the Olympics with a barbell. That's usually the way I explain it. Um, and it really involves um, six total attempts, which is really crazy when you think about how long you might train for such a thing. Um, especially if you are an Olympian, um, but six total attempts which happen in the space of six minutes. Um, and the attempts are three attempts at the snatch 
and three attempts at the clean and jerk, which are um, basically ways of putting weight over your head directly from the ground as quickly as possible. <laughs> um, and the difference uh, is that powerlifting is the deadlift, the squat, and the bench. Um, and I do love powerlifting. I think it's a little bit of a tougher sport to be um, very rigidly competing in because there are a couple more um, federations and um, it, it, there's a lot of variance as far as like what you can wear and even rules and things like that. So um, weightlifting is pretty, uh, pretty strict <laughs> and has been for a while. Um, and it really goes back um, a long, long way um, as far as how long it's been in existence as a competitive Olympic sport. Yeah, so that's, that's I guess, a basic explanation of weightlifting versus powerlifting. I love a little bit of the history there. Um, if so, <laughs> I can a lot more and I'm just holding back. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> Maybe we'll do another, another episode only, or specifically <laughs> on the Olympic lifts. That would be um, really oh, yeah. fun. But yeah. since we did talk a little bit about it, if somebody is interested in the Olympic lifts, where do you recommend that they go? Who do they talk to? What do they read online? Um, where yeah. do they start? Yeah, so I think that um, that's a really great question um, and one that I'm really passionate about because I, I guess I'm going to think of that question as being applied to a really wide audience, like everyone from a 16-year-old kid to mm -hmm. your 60-year-old weekend warrior uh, who is just looking to get fit. Um, and I would say that a good place to start is, um, honestly, is going to be CrossFit. <laughs> um, and, and that's really because it's very difficult to walk into a typical big box gym at this point and guarantee that anyone has even had any exposure to those lifts. They, they really still at this point may not even know what, what someone is referencing when they say, hey, I'd like to really learn how to do Olympic weightlifting. Um, and I think CrossFit, you know, for all of its um, woes that, you know, things that can go wrong, there are definitely a lot of things that are great about it. And one of, one of them is that most people end up when they're coaching with a rudimentary understanding of like what you should have in place before you start learning the Olympic lifts, um, which is just normal things like a, a squat that looks like a, a pretty good squat. <laughs> yeah. um, or you should be able to put your arms over your head without pain <laughs> before you kind of put a barbell over your head with, you know, weight on it. Um, so that would be a good place to start. I also think that um, my, my preference, and I've actually done this with people in my family who are interested in CrossFit and weightlifting, um, my preference is always personal. Um, I really think that uh, the more personal you can get with your training, um, usually the better results you'll get. And that means performance wise, but also um, avoiding any unnecessary injury. Mm -hmm. um, and so for instance, when I did have a family member who was like, I really want to try this, I gifted them like a couple personal training sessions at the best CrossFit gym I could find in their area. Yeah. Um, if someone was interested in kind of going beyond that, I think you have to find, um, at this point, because they are a lot more popular, I think you have to find a weightlifting club. Um, 
And I, I really think it behooves you to find a weightlifting club that isn't just about the best weightlifters and competing. I think it's really a good idea to find someone who you, you've seen take an athlete who has little to no exposure to a barbell and then can actually over, over a long period of time, even years, still be doing the sport. Mm-hmm. That's like the way that I know um, a barbell club is um, pretty good is when I'm seeing their athletes come back time and time again. And, you know, we all improve at a different rate, but I'm not seeing like a dramatic drop off in the number of people who are in their club, um, basically just because they're getting hurt or yeah. they're interested. Um, so yeah, so I think I would start there. There are a ton of great online resources, but, um, you know, even in my earliest days of learning weightlifting, I, I tried that and I got to say there's, there's no <laughs> attention, um, and motivation too. Yeah. I actually really like that perspective on finding a gym period is the longevity of the client base, you know, oh, yeah. are people getting hurt. Do you see turnover? Um, I think that could go for barbell clubs for any exercise class that you're taking CrossFit. Um, I, I really like that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because you're about to have a baby any day now. And <laughs> I've been following your fitness journey uh, hey. for many years. And <laughs> recently it hasn't, it, it hasn't looked like it's changed that much. So what, well, most recently maybe, but <laughs> a few months ago, um, I still saw you doing the things that you were doing before uh, you were expecting. Yeah. So why don't you tell us what you were doing before uh, and what you were doing, what you were continuing to do during your pregnancy? Sure. Um, yeah. So I, it's funny because I've really been wanting to, I've been thinking about this because of course I'm just waiting around for the baby. <laughs> I think about all the things that I could or should be doing, but I've been thinking about actually writing a blog post that has a title some, somewhat to the effect of like, things that I learned by actually being pregnant versus coaching pregnant people, <laughs> um, which, you know, I, I, I don't think there's any other way I could have approached um, that strategically. But right. <laughs> um, one of the big things that I would put on that list is how far along into pregnancy someone is potentially able to be completing uh, the Olympic lifts. Um, and I think that always goes with the disclaimer, which I'm sure you know people are very familiar with, but every pregnancy is different. Um, not even just every pregnant woman, but every single pregnancy that that pregnant woman has is different. Um, and, uh, and then also, I think it's not just physically what's going on with the woman, um, but also just mentally, like what people feel comfortable with. Um, and my, my feeling is that there's just no reason to be exposing yourself when you're pregnant to anything that makes you feel even a little bit uncomfortable um, as far as the safety of yourself or your child goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so things that I was doing before, um, I think it's worth mentioning that I have, um, I have trained weightlifting pretty aggressively, um, even exclusively. So like not doing any other type of general fitness during different phases of my life. Um, 
And the phase directly before I came into this pregnancy was um, pretty generalized fitness. Like I was doing a lot with um, traveling. So a lot of the weightlifting I would have been doing it was coming in the form of like sandbag lifts and kettlebell lifts and all that other fun stuff. Um, but I did restart actually, like maybe in the first month of my pregnancy, which I don't recommend doing. I'd recommend (laughs) doing it and then doing it again. Um, but I just kind of restarted doing the full lifts because I was back at home where I had all of my equipment. Um, and I was a little apprehensive about it, um, at first, uh, because it had been so long and I, think even mentally I was like oh these these should be heavier you know why am I not doing more because I had done more before um but yeah I was able to keep snatching and cleaning pretty much until I think even like 30 weeks um and I think a lot of that has to do with the size of um your belly (laughs) because and that's what I would tell people um that I would lift with um and especially coaches I would you know just kind of say like I don't really know how long I'll be able to do this but right now it feels fine um and the gauge that I would use for feeling fine would be okay is the bar path so so different than my, my typical bar path that I really feel like I'm interfering with the integrity of the lift Um, another thing I would think about would be, you know, am I having any pain, obviously? Um, and I wasn't, and I actually never did. Um, and then also I think, um, there's this element of like, at some point in later pregnancy, especially in the third trimester, you just, you really start to lose speed. You just start to kind of be a little bit. Um, less likely to do things dynamically um, because you're you're just feeling really off balance or hormones or any combination of all of those things that happen. Um, and I think that those qualifiers are kind of what was going through my head the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, like every training session, just kind of being like, okay, how does this feel? Um, what are my goals? And is this still in line with my goals. Um, yeah, I think, yeah. I, I think the question, right? Sort of. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so what, what was one of your goals in training this way through your pregnancy? Um, yeah, I think, I think my main goal was to be healthy mm-hmm. and, um, that isn't always everyone's goal. <laughs> um, I think the secondary goal was to retain as much of um, movement pattern as I could, um, mostly because I believe that those patterns are beneficial for overall wellness. Um, I think it's good to be able to pick things up from the ground and put them over your head and to maintain that range of motion. Mm -hmm. Um, and then also to enjoy my fitness. (laughs) I think it's a shame to, to, to spend time fitness wise with things that you don't actually like doing. Um, and so, um, weightlifting because it does give me so much joy was worth it because I I could still do it. And it made me really happy to be snatching and moving quickly. 
Um, so yeah, so those are my main goals during um, pregnant training. And okay. ironically, also sort of my goals when I'm not pregnant training. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what resources did you turn to to learn about training while pregnant? And w- were there any that were very uh, on either end of the, of the spectrum? Like definitely do this, definitely don't do that. Yeah. There, wow. There's so much out there and it really is. It's like so overwhelming for people. Um, so I guess the, the first resource is just um, general knowledge of people that I have worked with in the past. So mm-hmm. it, is, it has been really empowering to know women who have kind of gone before me and done things that I thought I could do or that I have done, or, uh, but I just never you know, experienced while pregnant. Um, mm-hmm. So, for instance, um, my friend Rachel Barrett, who um, has been able to be super active throughout all of her pregnancies, um, she is, you know, someone who I kind of learned, like, oh, that's a thing you could do. But I've also known women who were incredibly active, just like her, and incredibly mentally um, formidable, and got pregnant, and they were just like, okay, I can't hang from a bar and literally at like 15 weeks, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And so I, like having that frame of reference, I think has been really helpful to know that it's okay to listen to your body. It's okay to really respect the individuality of your particular pregnancy and how you're feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think people in general that I've coached have really been informative. Um, I think having my coach, Henry Tarano from OPEX uh, has been really helpful as well. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that, but just having a, a coach period um, and being able as a coach to defer to someone else, mm-hmm. I think, been really huge um and it's kept me um it's kept me honest it's challenged me in a good way to be consistent which I mean sometimes in the first trimester when you're like falling asleep talking to literally anybody um it's really it's really great to have someone who's like oh you didn't do this today why not um and uh, and then kind of onto the broader framework of resources, I would say that um, BirthFit, which is, um, I think they're kind of just their own thing. They're not really attached to anyone else. They're just BirthFit. Um, they have a great YouTube channel um, where you can kind of uh, peruse sort of different movements, um, what other pregnant women are doing. There's a bunch of little films about uh, diastasis recti, if that's something that you have concerns about. Um, and then there are a number of different um, Instagram people <laughs> who <laughs> I followed. Um, and it's funny because I, it's it's pretty broad, but even just like, because we're, we're probably not even going to be able to get into the realm of like nutrition while pregnant, mm-hmm. but I actually think you just, you can't talk about one without the other. You can't talk about um, fitness while pregnant without talking about nutrition. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, it's a hot topic for sure. And, um, but yeah, so people like Jolene Brighton, for instance, I don't know if you've heard of her, but she's, she's fantastic. And especially for women that are coming out of, um, like a post birth control environment hormonally, I think it's just, uh, she's a great resource. Yeah. And then I think, I'm trying to think of any other like basic 
like anybody could get to them resources and right now none of them are springing to mind but the, those are pretty those are pretty basic and really helpful have been helpful for my frame of reference well so since you brought up the nutrition piece why mm-hmm. don't you expand on on why you said especially when women are coming out of the post birth control phase uh, yeah. what Jolene talks about and what your belief system is and how you approach that in your own pregnancy. Yeah. Um, so I think one of the things that um, was said to me early on in pregnancy, and I, I kind of feel like I drifted that way anyway, um, was that uh, I could do whatever I wanted, <laughs> but uh, to be to be reading too many things and to be trying to do too many things would just be really overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And I, I could totally see that happening, um, especially um, given my personality, but with other people for sure. Early on chose a couple people who I really wanted to just be influenced by. And I, I just decided like, okay, I'm, these are my people and I'm gonna listen to what they say and yeah. see what happens. And so one of them, um, one of them is Jolene, and I, I've done a lot of reading um, on her website specifically, although I know she does counseling and programs and things like that, um, but specifically on, and usually for my clients, but um, on fertility post-birth control. Um, and that, was, that really came from you know, having a couple clients who had, birth, had been on birth control for a really long time, like we're talking since their teens even in some mm-hmm. cases, um, and then had tried to get pregnant in their 30s, which is, um, you know, for some people, it's, it works great and you're fine and life goes on and you have a baby and then life gets weird. But for other people, it, it's the beginning of a really long road. Um, and I actually... Um, I like her for that as a resource. Um, other than that, I also find Chris Kresser. Um, I'm sure you're a little familiar with him, mm-hmm. but yep. Chris Kresser has so much on, you know, just basics that you could be doing um, fertility wise, but also within pregnancy and then postpartum to kind of help support activity and wellness. Um, also, uh, Meg the Midwife, whose website is a teeny bit frustrating because I want to be able to navigate it better, but I also love that she has a number of posts that are just super basic, like here's your nutritional profile for breastfeeding and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, and she is working on a book with um, Liz Wolf, who's a, a good friend, an old friend of mine, called Baby Making and Beyond, which I have been wanting to come out for the whole time since they've ever said that they're going to make <laughs> <laughs> but you know she has a kid so that slows things down a bit and I respect that and I know that whatever they're going to come out with is going to be fantastic um, but in the meantime um, Meg Midwife is, has been another influence um, and she's she's been great as well for all of that info. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah so let's switch back to training and I want to talk a little bit about your thoughts on having a coach. Did you work with Henry? before you were pregnant or what made you pick him when you were pregnant? How did you, how yeah. did you decide to work with a coach and have you ever not worked with a coach? Yeah. I love this question. Um, cause it's a really important part of being a coach to me, um, is this idea of being perpetually, uh, learning 
And um, I think in my case, that, that usually means learning from someone who isn't me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so in thinking about it, I've actually had, I've actually outsourced my programming and training since I could afford it very early on in owning an affiliate um, and in really pursuing athletic life as a coach. Um, so I've had a number of coaches in the past. Before Henry, my coach was Paul Bono. He's great. Um, and when I got pregnant, um, I was basically looking for a slightly different approach um, mostly because I knew my time commitment was going to be changing and, um, and I also knew that my goals would be changing. And so I reached out to OPEX um, about their remote coaching program, knowing the quality of what they do. And I just said, Hey, I'm going to be pregnant or am pregnant. <laughs> um, and do you have anyone who kind of specializes in coaching people like that? And they sent me Henry Tarano, um, who's from Puerto Rico and, um, and he's been fantastic. Um, I've really appreciated his support and I've learned a lot from him. Um, definitely along the way. What is something that you have learned from him that was either surprising? Yeah. Well, I think initially I, I didn't expect to stick with um, the Olympic lifts as long as I was able to in pregnancy. Uh, and I don't regret it along the way. I think I, you know, I just kind of talked to him a little bit about like, well, is this weird that I'm still doing this? <laughs> and he just constantly reassure me, you know, every, every pregnancy is different. And when you feel that it's weird is when it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and in addition to that, um, also just having, having a slightly different timeline for things like, um, squatting within the framework of a whole pregnancy. So like what we used to do in, in the gym, we, we even used to give like a little pregnancy quiz, um, to all of the coaches, uh, about, exercises that we just generally thought that people shouldn't be doing in the first and then the second and then the third trimester. I mean, it's probably no surprise that when you're streamlining something for something as broad as a, as a gym model, you, you do actually have to kind of isolate things into, right, since this is generalized fitness, like we're just going to say in the first trimester, these are the things that we don't do. Um, so for instance, like doing, um, a ton of jumping for most women usually ends up being kind of problematic, even in the first trimester. So we just said, you can ask the woman how she feels, but generally in the first trimester, you know, we want to limit that if we can. Um, and then in the second, we would say across the board, you know, you're not doing box jumps, you're not doing double unders anymore. Um, and I didn't find that in my own experience. In my own experience, I was able to do jumping a little bit longer than um, I would have thought. And, you know, Henry prescribed it, but then also was asking me how I felt along the way. And then other things like um, even something as, as critical, I think, in a lot of pregnant fitness programs as you know, you, you hear a lot about like, don't lie on your back. Um, I was still lying on my back <laughs> apparently, <laughs> and I have been. Um, and, and really, I think that's a, a remnant from a lot of fear-based advice that um, most medical professionals are just giving out. And that's not to say that 
you know, it could be really relevant to a woman who's, whose baby is in a different position than mine, for instance, um, mm-hmm. because you do feel like I, there are two parts to what goes on with why a woman can't lie on her back. And it's basically because in some cases you, you can't actually breathe very well at all. And you can even cut off um, oxygen to the baby, um, which is a scary sounding thing, but honestly what happens when that happens is you feel limited in your breath and Mm -hmm. so you just roll over (laughs) um and then the other element of that is just that some abdominal exercises for some women are just drastically harder um once you get further on into pregnancy and once again with with henry basically he would just ask me you know like so how are these dead bugs feeling um because it is it's just it's tough because in order to have a healthy pregnancy in order to have a healthy birth in order to have better recovery after pregnancy you you do need to be stimulating um those those ranges of motion and also your pelvic floor so mm-hmm doing things in a lying position for as long as you, as long as you can without having these adverse um, reactions is still a pretty good idea. Um, And so I think, yeah, the, the weightlifting, the jumping, the lying on your back, um, and then just generally having a super individualized approach, even week to week for what I was doing. That wasn't surprising as far as um, it coming from Henry, but it was it was surprising to me how easy that was. It was surprising to me how how individ, how individualized it really could be. And then there was also some nutritional stuff, which which is just part of the OPEX models that you're always working on both at the same time. And there was stuff in there that I was like, oh, I just I had literally had no idea about this. Um, so how was it working with a man who doesn't have the experience of pregnancy? while (laughs) while you're pregnant um so I guess like for for me that's never well I guess I wouldn't really know because I haven't had the alternative experience of having like a female coach Mm. um who is who has been pregnant um but I think overall that that didn't bother me because I knew he had worked with so many pregnant clients before okay and also that he had uh I think his son was when we first started he might have been almost a year old so he had had the experience of watching his own wife also mm-hmm. go through the whole um you know spectrum of um, being pregnant and it's also one of the things as as soon as you are pregnant you realize like no matter how many pregnancies you have it's still going to be different um and every person's experience is still going to be different which is like comforting, but also kind of annoying. (laughs) Um, and, and yeah, I mean that, that's something that I think, uh, like I say all of the things that I'm saying with it, you know, to take with a grain of salt, because this has just been my experience and I haven't even actually got to the point of giving birth yet. (laughs) Um, I, I will say though, that, um, I actually had a miscarriage last June which, um, as awful as that experience was, it was so informative because I had known women, many women who had been through the same experience earlier than that. And I had never really understood exactly what that might even a little bit feel like. And I still don't because every miscarriage is also different because every person is different. 
Um, but I have more of an idea, and, and I think it has really informed um, even this pregnancy and, um, and what I've kind of made my goals as I've been going through it. Um, so yeah, so it didn't bother me too much that Henry himself hadn't had multiple children. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you're very big on everybody is different and every body is different. And so therefore all, all training yeah. by extension is, is different. For yourself, I know that you have a big history in meditation. Mm-hmm. How has that played a part in you understanding and listening to your body and training with more intuition than if you if you didn't have that background? Well, so real real quick, if I could just go back to the everyone is different yeah. um, thing real quick, just because this is, I think, um, it's just important to say that in my pursuit of, um, in my professional pursuit of my doctorate in physical therapy. I mean, that's one of the biggest reasons that I have really gone that route. Um, And even in my own pursuit of having an individualized coaching model, um, it's not that generalized fitness doesn't work some of the time um, for most people, but I tend to really prefer the experience of getting to be specific. And I, I see that people are healthier because of it usually, um, that they're, they're retained longer as clients and they tend to also just see better performance gains most of the time. Um, not all the time because community can also do a lot for people. Um, but anyway, that's just, you know, generally something that I think, and it's a huge part of moving into a different professional career, even though I would still consider myself a coach. So yeah, as far as meditation goes, that also kind of plays along the same lines, which is um, just this whole idea of very few things in our experience as humans are isolated. So in my own training experience and also in my own business ownership experience, I just saw way, way, way too often um, that what we do physically is just so affected by our mindset. And Um, That's not surprising to most people, um, if you say it, Um, but I think what is most surprising to people is that um, meditation doesn't have to be this thing that's like really spiritualized and also very um, heavy. Um, Mm -hmm. To me, um, the impact that meditation has had on my whole life has been that it's just made me more aware of my everyday experience. Um, And I think specific to athletics and to fitness, um, that is really the same thing. It's, It's just made me much more aware of how I'm moving, of emotions that might be affecting my moving, of expectations that I may have without even knowing until I choose to kind of be like, oh, the reason I'm so upset about this particular thing today is because you know, X, Y, Z. Um, and a really, a really good example of that actually is that one of my primary goals during pregnancy fitness wise was actually to be able to do a pull up until I was full term. And I didn't, I kind of wrote it down and I was like, I don't care what kind of pull up it is. <laughs> it could be like a pull up with the craziest, um, you know, grip or whatever. Um, but, but I want to be able to do one. And I actually have a series of videos, which I haven't posted yet, but 
of me tracking this throughout my pregnancy. Um, and I, I don't know why I got so stuck on the pull-up. Like, I think it has a lot to do with my early history in CrossFit of not being able to do a pull-up and then eventually being able to do many pull-ups, which was great. But anyway, towards the end of pregnancy, I think the last time I did um, a strict pull-up was like 34 weeks, mm-hmm. which technically full term. (laughs) The day that I tried to do um, a pull up, I think at 37 and a half weeks, I was super sad. (laughs) (laughs) And I, you know, I kind of got like halfway up and then I was just like, well, that's over. (laughs) But I think, you know, meditation plays into something like that because it allows me to say, okay, so what am I currently experiencing revolving around this goal? And, you know, a couple of things are, yeah, disappointment. I, I wanted a thing and then I, I didn't get the thing. Right. You know, I think judgment. Um, so things like thoughts, like what are people going to think of me? Or like, um, who, who, who do I get to tell about this? <laughs> and how stupid are they going to think I am? Um, or, or even just like, you know, the typical pattern of, which I think a lot of people relate to, which is, you know, did I do something wrong that led me to get to this point and I couldn't do that thing? And meditation is just, uh, it's just like opening a door to be able to see those thoughts. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if you don't ever open the door, then you're just sort of, you know, you're keeping a lot of that stuff inside and and I mean it does eat away at you I think as an athlete and as a person um you know to just be carrying around all those thoughts without actually even seeing them and so yeah so that's just a really specific example within the framework of pregnancy um of how the framework of meditation has impacted my specific like day-to-day training Mm -hmm. um I think on the whole that um other just like logistical stuff is that I often meditate after training. Um, I find that it's usually a time when my brain and my body are really, really awake, which helps a lot because I am not some sort of like sage sitting on a mountain and I can sit through hour long meditations without, you know, batting an eye and like flies and sounds don't bother me. That is not my experience. Um, But yeah, I find that that time is usually pretty good for me. And I, there are so many different resources that I could recommend to people, but I'm not a person who, who meditates with headspace, for instance, which I think is super common and it's a really great resource. But in my case, um, I, it it just hasn't been a resource that's uh, been particularly helpful for me, but yeah, so there've been many, many different things that meditation has done for my training and in my life. But those are just a few of them. Yeah. I, I think it's very interesting that you're meditating after your training, especially because you said that Olympic weightlifting is a form of meditation for you. Yeah. You're, you're extending it after your training. I think that's, for, for lack of a better word, a smart way, way to do it. Like you're already in this state. Let's keep it going. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And it, and it really, even if it wasn't Olympic weightlifting, I mean, I've also done meditation after uh, a different context. Like mm-hmm. I think if, if someone could be thinking like back to a workout that was really hard for them, like something <laughs> really challenged them mentally yeah. and physically. I mean, you do kind of need like a moment yeah. <laughs> to just be like, what just happened? <laughs> um, and I mean, I think most people have had 
workouts where you, you are affected emotionally. Um, and there is um, a moment where you're just like, what is that about? You know, like, why, why did this physical thing just bring up all of this emotional stuff, all right. of this emotional baggage? And I don't think that I've, I mean, I've told people before, like, I don't think that's weird. I think that's very normal. I think what's weirder is we just like proceed to go on with our lives mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of taking it, taking that time as an opportunity to really see what's going on. Um, and one of my favorite phrases about meditation comes from a mentor of mine um, from the Jefferson program, which is as we are in meditation, we are in life. So you know, if, if sitting down to meditation after training, when you're doing that, if you're hearing just like, if you're just seeing yourself like being really distracted, um, then that's probably how you are in life. And it's not something to judge yourself for, but it is something to just understand and notice like, oh, I literally cannot sit for five minutes and just appreciate that my body has just given me the capacity to do this thing that I just did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, that that's, that's really all meditation is meant to be is it's just a noticing, it's just paying attention intentionally. Um, and I think as athletes, we learn so much from, we, we can learn so much from that experience of just like looking back on our training and thinking like, oh, the only reason that workout felt emotionally difficult is because I had these crazy expectations about what I should or shouldn't be able to do. I wonder what it would be like if I just saw those expectations instead Mm -hmm. of like real things that I need to do. Um, Right. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot that can be gleaned and, and it's not even, it's actually really hard to put into words, but I think that basic experience of just sitting down and and breathing, it just helps in so Mm -hmm. many ways. Do you mind sharing the name of your mentor? Yeah, um, her name is Elise Moss, and that's spelled A-L-E-E-Z-E, um, Moss, M-O-S-S. Um, and she's got a couple meditations online um, on YouTube. If you just search for her name, you'll find mm-hmm. them. Uh, but I also, I tend to use a lot of meditations from um, a man who I've done um, a certification week thing, um, named Christopher Germer. Um, and his last name is spelled, uh, G E R M E R. And I, I really like a lot of those. Um, and then there's also a woman named Kristen Neff who also has some great resources and her last name is N E F F. Um, and she's really fantastic as well. And, Tara Brock would probably be the other person. Those are a little bit longer, those meditations, but Brock is spelled um, B-R-A-C-H. But those are people who I generally follow. Um, It's a style of meditation that I prefer. Um, And I've sent a lot of those resources. um, And then like your your basics with John Kabat-Zinn, who's the guy who's responsible for bringing um, meditation and mindfulness into most people's experience in a really like, easy way, I would say. Um, John Kabat-Zinn's stuff is great too, but a lot of my remote coaching clients are familiar with all of those people. I love how you include that in your, in your coaching. Yeah, it's not every time, um, because obviously some people are like, wait, what? I can't help. <laughs> yeah. Remote coaching affords the opportunity to have good conversations about more than just um, what happens in the gym. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's good coaching. Um, and part of that is um, sometimes, you know, nudging people and saying, you know, when's the last time you just sat somewhere and you just kind of, you know, watched your thoughts go by for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it really depends on how receptive the person is. Um, but I've also had clients who have actually gone through um, the uh, same mindfulness-based program that I have after a couple years of sort of like dabbling in meditating and, and had a very similar experience as far as, you know, just, wow, it just changed so much more than I thought it was going to. Well, thank you. I think that concludes all of our strength based in meditation and nutrition and pregnancy <laughs> questions. Uh, yeah. But I do have three final questions. I'm calling <laughs> it the lightning round. <laughs> They're meant to be a little bit silly and fun. So what is the most memorable thing you've ever eaten? Ugh, this question is so hard. <laughs> because it, for those of you who know me, um, my husband, Eris Farmer, is like, he's just an incredible cook. Um, so actually, a lot of things that are memorable to me are times when he has made something that I'm just like, I don't even know how he just did this. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's definitely as far as like things that I've eaten that have been just incredible or like have a lot of emotional attachment. Um, just really, there's so many things that he's made that I think are really memorable. But also, I would say, um, as far as like, just this is weird. I was in Ecuador when I was uh, maybe about 18, and I ate guinea pig on a stick. And I remember that being memorable because it was really <laughs> gross. <laughs> Um, and kind of like jarring and not comfortable at all. But yeah, I, some people love it. I just, I don't know if I got the wrong guinea pig or something, but I just wasn't into it. <laughs> <laughs> I, w I wonder if you went back now and tried it years yeah, later. I, I do kind of wonder because um, my friend uh, Wale, he actually went and he was telling me his guinea pig experience was totally different. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, what are, uh, it, with a nod to powerlifting and the big three lifts, what are the big three influencers for you? It could be people, books, podcasts. I want to give you one of each because I think I can, it's just such a tough question because mm -hmm. there's so much good stuff out there. Um, so yeah, so people who I would say on the whole have been extremely influential to me. Um, Eric Cressy, I, I think I have to pick him because even from my earliest, earliest days of coaching and training and just thinking about um, fitness, um, he's just been a huge resource. And, um, and I think he's inspiring as a coach and as an athlete. And his writing is really, really good. And even if you're not a person who's coaching baseball athletes um, or overhead throwing athletes, I think that the values that he ascribes to are, are definitely my values. Um, and that doesn't mean they'll be your values, but I really think that they're, they've worked pretty well for him in the past. <laughs> and you're, um, you're, you're talking yeah. about training, training clients. Yeah. Um, talking about training clients, even, even business model wise, I think he, he's a great resource. Um, and then even as an athlete, because he has twin girls, um, and they're fairly young and he owns these businesses and he travels a lot. And I think his capacity to still be deadlifting pretty well and to be, um, 
to be doing everything he's doing with the quality of um, work that he's doing and to be writing in a way that I think is still really inspiring um, and really informed. Um, I think that's, it's, it's challenging. It's, it's really, and it's been influential to me just to kind of see him from a distance and also up close because I've been there a couple times. Book-wise, so this one is less about training, more about life. <laughs> I, one, of the, one of my favorite books that I want more people to read <laughs> um, is, is by Viktor Frankl, um, who's a Holocaust survivor and a psychologist. Um, and it's called Man's Search for Meaning. And I think I, I, I picked that book because I, I do think that... Um, it's really hard to be a good athlete or a good coach without having, having something to stand on as far as your why goes. And I think that book is very much about the question of why and how we, how we form our mm -hmm. why. Um, so yeah, so that would be a book that I know, I know a lot of people have recommended it before, um, but it does occasionally get missed because it's not directly about training, but it, book um, and it's a really easy read and it's not too long either which is um, another reason I throw it out there um, podcast okay so this um, is hard because I love podcasts <laughs> and especially while I've been pregnant I've um, I don't know I've been listening to them even more uh, the podcast that I think is actually one one of the more useful podcasts that less uh, I think coaches don't tend to drift towards um, is called Hidden Brain. And I don't know if you've ever heard of it or listened to it, but um, I like a podcast that is produced pretty well. So, you know, like you can listen to it and you're not actually getting bored. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I also like a podcast with um, obviously good content. And this content isn't specific to athletic life, but I think that psychology, um, if you are a coach or if you're an athlete, especially um, the psychology of changing behavior is, is really vital to what you do or experience um, as a coach or an athlete. And this podcast is all about the way that the brain works, absorbs. I mean, it's about new research. It's about, it's a pretty broad um, podcast, but I have found there have been many, many times where what I'm listening to is just like directly relevant to what I'm doing as a coach um, or as a business owner or as an athlete. So yeah, so that would be my rando podcast that I would recommend that hopefully people haven't heard about and that you could check it out one time and then maybe <laughs> it works for you. Yeah, I, I actually love Hidden Brain. It's, Yay, it's, it's so interesting. <laughs> yes, right? And yeah. I, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like, it's, uh, it's not my field specifically, but it sort of is. Um, yeah. And I'm always fascinated. And, and I do, I just really, I like Shankar. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last question. Sure. If someone came from outer space to earth, what, <laughs> what is one thing that you would tell them? Uh, Man, one thing that I would tell them, not ask them. Yes. Oh, dang. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, oh, man. I would tell them that I'm sorry about Trump. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm just so sorry that this 
best we can do. <laughs> I'm sorry if this is offensive to anybody else, but really, I think as an American, I, that's what I would say. <laughs> yeah. How, how about if in uh, a few years, something a little bit more general, because I, I agree with you. Um, but hopefully that won't be forever happening. <laughs> yes. Right. I mean, it can't, right? Yes. Yes. Um, in a few years. Okay. So excluding our political, current political climate, I think I would tell, I think I would tell them, well, this is why I would want to ask what they, what their life is like, <laughs> this hypothetical alien person thing. Um, but I think I would tell them that humans are whole beings. That's probably what I would say. And I, I would have lots of questions about what their way of experiencing the world is. But humans are whole beings, meaning, um, you know, we, we see what we see, but we also um, know so much through what we do and how we move. Um, and our words are, you know, often very helpful, but you know, there are plenty of things that we know um, not through words, and um, that's super spacey. <laughs> it's a really, uh, um, I guess, like mystical kind of <laughs> statement. But um, but yeah, I think if I if they had never met a human before, that would be what I would say is that you know we we don't have. We're not isolated in our experience as far as being entirely um, in our heads or in our bodies. Um, it's it's a really holistic um, experience that we go through when we talk about being human. That is an incredible answer. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I I don't know where even that came from, but I guess somewhere. Yeah. Oh, wow. Thank you so much, Erin, for being on the podcast. For having me. It was really fun. And it was, um, I love, I love answering these questions because it actually, you know, it gets me thinking like, wow, this is the spectrum of my experience and all the things that I've learned, but also so many things that I don't know. So yeah, thanks. Thank you, Erin. Hey, thanks for listening to Muscles to the Masses, the podcast. If you're interested in weightlifting and in Philly, check out Liberty Barbell Club the Olympic weightlifting club housed in Aaron's former CrossFit affiliate. To support the show, leave us a review on iTunes, tell a friend, or buy a butt bag at musclestothemasses.com.